Let's Talk PR and More. Public relations, media, publicity, integrated communications, marketing, digital, reputation management, and more. Let's Talk PR and More with award-winning PR strategist, Sherry Goldman. Hi, I'm Sherry Goldman, president of Goldman Communications Group, and welcome to Let's Talk PR and More. My guest today is Teresa Jacobellis. Teresa is director of communications solutions at IPRO, a nonprofit organization that works with state and federal government to improve the quality of healthcare across the nation. She's also president of Prescriptive Communications, LLC, a marketing communications agency focused on the healthcare industry and has held a variety of leadership roles in PR and communications in the hospital and health insurance industry. Teresa is president of Public Relations Professionals of Long Island, an adjunct professor in the Graduate Public Relations Program at Hofstra University, and has been a recipient of many national awards, including the Astor Award, the Healthcare Advertising Awards, and the Cardiovascular Advertising Awards. So today, as you can imagine, we're going to talk healthcare PR, and I'm excited Teresa is here. Welcome, Teresa. Thanks, Sherry. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Great. Let's get started. I think healthcare PR is so different from other PR, and I really want to delve into that, but I really want to take one step back and say, what made you first interested in healthcare PR? Oh, that's a great question. So uh, I had no interest in healthcare or PR when I started my career. Um, I was actually a, a, a film and television major at Boston University as an undergrad and took my first job out of college working at a hospital, just kind of an entry-level job in the PR department. And I really instantly fell in love with it. It's a career in which you are learning something new every single day. You're working with some of the brightest minds around, and you're learning information and you're sharing information that really has the potential and the power to positively affect people's lives. And so there's really that sense of mission about it, and it's, it's very rewarding in that way. So, so that's what kind of brought me into this field. And obviously loved it and never left. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, never left. And it's certainly, I know from my perspective, one of the sectors of PR that is growing, growing in importance, growing in size, growing in scope, growing in recognition. Why is healthcare PR different from other PR, if so? And I think it is. I think it's very different. When you do PR for healthcare, it's different than doing PR for a consumer product brand or a PR for a B2B law firm or something along those lines. Yeah, I mean, and I always say that to people. And, and you know, I, I always try to explain it's, it's different because we're trying to motivate people to do something, as many PR practitioners are doing in their careers. But ours is focused on behavior change. It's not about convincing somebody that our soft drink tastes better than the competitors. And so the difference inherent in that is that I can try to sell you, you know, a bottle of soda and whether you need it or not at that moment, I might convince you to go out and buy it. But when we talk about healthcare, very often we're, we're talking about reputation and we're talking about being top of mind for the moment when that person does have a need, which might not be the moment that they're getting the message. So, for example, I spent much of my career working for hospitals where we might be talking about the quality of the cardiac care that we provide to the community. Well, if you don't have a heart issue, you know, thank goodness, you don't, you don't need to hear that message at that moment. But perhaps in six months, your loved one might be diagnosed with a heart murmur. And so where will you go? So the, the goal in that case is 
for those messages to sort of linger and create, again, that top of mind recall when the need is there. So that's, that's a, a major difference, I think, when you're doing PR for healthcare as opposed to other, other sectors of, of the economy. I would think so, and I would think it's more challenging than ever before because I think people today have the attention span and the attention retention of, you know, three seconds. They're used to getting information pushed to them and they're bombarded with messages. So to have that retention and remember that, I would think it's more challenging than ever as we're fragmented. It definitely is. And we're also, you know, looking to very often change behaviors or impact behaviors to make people's lives healthier and to have them have a better quality of life. But you and I both know how difficult it is to change someone's behavior, right? I mean, if it was easy, right, nobody would smoke or drink and we would all be thin and healthy and we'd (laughs) have way more money in our savings accounts than we do. But it's not easy. Right. That's what makes it so challenging. And and so we use, you know, very often like social marketing concepts to try to affect that behavior change. And we're, you know, we're looking at different strategies and tactics that maybe are more emotion driven, right? We might use fear. Like if you think about some of the really effective anti-smoking campaigns that were around maybe 10 years ago that really kind of played on those fears and, and shock value, or we might use humor, you know, or we might, you know, think about infusing those messages with thoughts about family and connections and love and, and things like that. So we're really very often using emotion or even guilt, try to bring about that kind of behavior change and, and thinking about how do we communicate to people the benefits of changing versus the costs of remaining the same and addressing the barriers to making changes. So there's so much that goes into that kind of of messaging. Do you have to think about that when you first start the campaign or is that something evolves over time? Is that something? No, that's something that you're really, you should be thinking about even, you know, in in the very earliest planning stages. It's all part of your your strategy, knowing, you know, as, as, and here's where it's similar to other types of public relations, right? Knowing your audience. Right. Knowing exactly who you want to target and who you're communicating with and what are their, what are the levers that, that matter to them? What will, what will motivate them? So that all begins, you know, at the very earliest stages of the campaign. Is that something that you find that the healthcare industry understands their target audience or they like, everybody needs to know about us. We're a hospital. Everybody needs to know about us. We're a new med. Yeah, you know, it depends on who you're you're talking to. I I don't want to generalize and say the industry knows. Um, So I'll say two things about that. One is that, yes, very often I would have conversations with with clinicians, for example, who who would like to promote their, their division, their program, their, you know, their new procedure. Right. And so I would say, okay, who is the target audience? And they would say, everybody or... Everybody needs a facelift. Everybody needs something. Well, it's patients, but also referring physicians. Right. Those are two very different audiences. And we need two campaigns, really, to reach them effectively. Um, And so sometimes they don't understand that. On the other hand, what I will say is that when you work in healthcare... Most often you're working with people who are kind of at their very basic level scientists, right? They're physicians, they're researchers, they're nurses, they're people who've trained in the sciences. And so to really effectively communicate with them, we need to think about data and using data-driven approaches and techniques. So when you, when you can speak that language, it becomes much easier for, um, for our colleagues to understand why we need to 
segment our audience and why we need to have a target audience and, and really focus our efforts on them because we have data to back that up. Right. And I guess that's important. And it's funny you should say scientists. I recently interviewed Dr. Brooke Grinlinger from the New York Academy of Sciences about science communications. And by the way, if you haven't heard that show, for the people listening, check out the podcast. But she and I talked a lot about health-related communications and the challenges of that. And we spoke about the communications around the mRNA shots for COVID and what a challenge it was to effectively communicate it and get people to hear what you're saying, listen to it based upon their preconceived notions, and then obviously motivate them to action to get a shot. And and because science or health issues seem to be, I don't know, people have an aversion to listening to it and obviously become more politicized too. I mean, Correct. do you find that and, and more challenging? Yeah. I, I think that, you know, COVID has really fundamentally changed in, in many ways public health communication. How so? Well, because there's so much disinformation that we're fighting with. So it's not just about communicating effectively the correct and, you know, accurate information, but also about debunking the the misinformation and disinformation that is purposely put forth to confuse people and create distrust. And and so that, that also made it much more difficult. And that plus the fact that during COVID, things were evolving very, very quickly. So very often when public health officials were putting out a statement or trying to, to message around something, things were changing. And that also added, I think, to the distrust that was out there. So it made it more challenging for for public health communicators to really have that credibility that is so essential when you're trying to talk to people about important healthcare decisions. Yeah, and and I hear that, and it makes so much sense, first of all, and I'm sure you deal with it even pre-COVID, post-COVID, that in the healthcare arena, number one, things are constantly evolving, nothing's so black and white concrete, it's not an end. And number two is, you know, it may be an issue that you first have to elevate the issue so that people can then talk about it. Right, right. And so, right, a lot of that is, is the framing of, of issues and how Better we... choice of word. I used that in class yesterday and I should have... <laughs> I forgot that and my wine went blank. <laughs> That's okay. Um, it's, but you, you described it per- perfectly, right? It's how do we frame these issues so that um, we can even have the conversation, right? And, and is this... I mean, if you think about um, some of the controversial, more controversial health-related issues... Um, are we pro-life or are we pro-choice, right? right. I mean, it's, it's, all, it's all how we frame it and it's all how we talk about it. And um, But then you're dealing with how people hear it is based upon their preconceived notions, correct? That's right. their, their psychographics and their values and all yeah. of that. So how do you meet that challenge as a healthcare professional? You healthcare know, PR professional, I should yeah, say. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's about really the basics and the fundamentals that, that – you know, any experienced and successful PR practitioner knows it's about doing the research. It's about understanding the audience. Um, and then it's about really um, doing, doing the work of, of not, the, not the exciting, let's write the press release and let's get the messaging out there, but really doing that, um, laying that groundwork in advance of that. So understanding the audience, understanding those pre- preconceived notions, and understanding what motivates those people so that you can really create a campaign that that kind of hits all of those right notes to try to break through and not just break through all of the preconceived notions and all of their, you know, maybe disinformation, but also 
um, all of the noise that's out there now, right? So we're getting so many messages through social media, through traditional media, um, it's, it's, and it's very confusing for people. So it's, it's difficult. It's more difficult than ever, I think, to break through the noise and to, again, have that credibility when, when so many people are, are questioning and, and relying on opinions of, of folks who maybe aren't experts in a field. But, you know, well, it sounds right to me. I read it on Facebook. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, it's, it's challenging for sure. Yeah. Has the world of influencers and social changed it? I mean, I would always think you need the top doctor. You need the top research scientist. You need, you know, credibility of spokespeople. And yet, we're in a world of influencers. It's true. So, it's true. And, and not for the good, it, in my opinion, but that's a whole nother conversation. It, <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and when you look at things like the Edelman Trust Index, right? Which who just came trust, out. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right? They're looking to their peers. They're looking more to, you know, not necessarily the experts. They don't trust them anymore. So I feel like that's been something that's sort of been eroded um, and and maybe just over the last few years and it's not a good thing in my opinion. When you think about communicating it, is it better to do it with traditional media? Is social media a better thing? Is it drive people to websites and get papers? Is it community relations? What are key elements of a good campaign that helps promote a healthcare cause and get people to take interest? Well, I'm going to very definitively say it depends. Okay. Um, (laughs) And that's fair. I'm putting you on the spot. I know. So sorry. No, because I mean, again, it depends on your, on your issue. And that will, again, be driven by your audience. So are we trying to convince 14 year olds that vaping maybe isn't so cool? Well, then maybe I'm going to be on TikTok, right? Okay. Um, Am I trying to convince the Medicare population that they should get the new uh, pneumococcal vaccine and, and that will keep them from getting very seriously ill if they're exposed to this bacterium, then maybe I'm going to do something in a newspaper and traditional media. So it really does depend on the issue, on the audience. But like every other, you know, well thought out campaign, it will most likely involve multiple multi-channel communications. If I'm targeting the Medicare recipient, perhaps I will also want some of that messaging to reach his or her adult children or grandchildren. Right. Uh, so that conversation can be stimulated. If I'm trying to target the 14-year-old, I, I certainly want mom and dad to be aware of that issue as well. So I think multi-channel communications will always have a role in any campaign, but the, you know, the amount that you, how you balance out what you're, what you're devoting to each one will depend really on your, on your issue and your audience. Is it harder to reach that younger generation, that TikTok generation that only gets their information from influencers? Is it harder to get them to understand these complex messages as versus? You know, I think it just requires a different a different approach. And I'm far, far, far from that generation. So, um, <laughs> Sadly, so am I. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know that it's harder. I think that they're just, you know, they're listening to different sources. So it's just a different way of communicating and knowing you know, knowing where they are. Um, and again, going back to doing your research and, and looking at the demographics of each uh, of each channel and knowing how to reach them. And, and, and you know what? Authenticity is so important. Again, it doesn't have to be in healthcare, but in anything that we're doing. So not speaking down to kids because they're kids, right? Okay. But really trying to communicate on their level. So that, that brings me to another really important aspect of health communication, which is which is literacy, right? Very often you work with scientists, doctors, nurses, researchers who are so educated and so used to communicating at a very high level that um, 
you know, we really need to make these messages accessible to people and meet them where they are. And, and so very often that means not just translating them into a different <laughs> language, but being aware of the culture, right, that we're, of, of that audience that we're trying to reach. You know, we're in a very mixed up culture. You know, we have a lot of diff- diverse people that we're trying to communicate with. So it's important, again, to have that authenticity and to communicate with people kind of where they are, meet them where they are with these messages. Is it a challenge for you in PR to say to that scientist, I know what you're saying, but I don't want to say we have to dumb it down, but we really have to over, over, over simplify it (laughs) so that people who are partially paying attention and not really focused are going to get it and maybe want to learn more because it's too technical. And when it's too technical, it's not that you scare people. They just shut off. They move on. It's so true. And it's so funny that you said that because I literally just had this conversation very recently with a, an infection preventionist. And we're trying to create some, some videos here that communicate with patients about the importance of getting vaccines, not just for COVID, but for things like pneumococcal and RSV, which is a new one that just came out and, and, uh, and flu. I, I actually had somebody say to me, you're making it too simple and it's insulting to the audience. What? And, and you know what? I, I don't think that anyone has ever been insulted by something that is too easy to understand. No. And right? I'm so, were, were they insulted because you felt they felt you were insulting their intelligence? No, or they was felt that... that I was insulting the audience by oversimplifying the message. And, you know, and I just disagree. I, I never heard that, of that. That anything I, could be too simple. Never, yeah, never heard of that. And you know what? So, so if we... I think the risk of that is preferable to the risk of communicating over someone's head and they just don't get it. And they, to your point, they tune it out. Right. Right. Yeah. Then we've wasted our effort. And, and, you know, it's hard for some people to imagine, but you know, the average literacy level of, of an American person that's consuming a message is around sixth grade. So making it accessible is key. Absolutely. I know one of the things you and I had pre-spoke about is on top of healthcare PR and all of those things making accessible, you have a lot of other constraints and regulations you have to deal with. We weather. Do. So let's talk about some of them and how that factors in. I know the FDA is certainly one of them. It's the reason I don't do healthcare PR because all of those regulations I'm not on top of, I wouldn't be providing good guidance without really knowing all of that. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't even realize that but prior to 1985, pharmaceuticals were um, prohibited from advertising to consumers, direct to consumers. Um, and now so there's I so started, many commercials and earworms. I mean, my head right? explodes. Oh, gosh. I know. Now it's a huge industry. I mean, it's crazy. But um, the FDA still highly regulates the pharmaceutical industry and, and its advertising and messaging. Um, hospitals and providers are also highly regulated by both state and federal agencies. Um, so, uh, you know, the other thing is that, um, we have to be concerned about, about privacy, HIPAA laws, which, um, control Tell everybody what that actually is and how that really affects what you do. The health insurance, portability, and, oh, now I'm on the spot. Oh, don't worry. That's okay. Act? No, but yeah. don't, don't worry about the acronym, but what? Yeah. So it really, um, it really just kind of regulates what kind of information, a PR person can release about another person's 
it's called PHI or protected, that one I know, protected health information. Yeah. So anything that can identify somebody um, and link them to a diagnosis or a treatment for an illness is protected health information. So even if I were to say, this is, if I were, just recently a doctor was actually sued because she talked about a patient never naming the name, but it was a 35-year-old woman with a pregnancy, blah, 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 and she gave details of the case. Well, if somebody can identify that patient based upon those details, then that is a HIPAA violation. Really? Even if it's like the family member that goes, I recognize that's my sister? Well, if there's, yeah, if there's a complaint made. Wow. Yeah. Because case studies are one of the things, human interest case studies are one of the things, I I mean, I teach on how to make news. That's how to take a subject and make it interesting to create news or create news opportunities is that case study. Right, or that human interest that story human issues, yes. to make it personal. And, and hospitals do a lot of that on commercials as well for advertising. Not to say we don't do it. We just have a very rigid formula for getting consent, right? So once the patient consents to allowing you to release their personal health information, then then go for it. But, you know, very often those forms will stipulate, like, there's an amount of time or there's a specific purpose or it may only be used on your website or in your paid advertising campaign. Um, and then and then we can go ahead and do that. Um, so we used to get around it in different ways. We used to have staff members pose as patients for some of our, like, printed collateral and things like okay. that. And, I mean, I used to work with somebody. We called him the sickest man in America because he <laughs> posed as an AIDS patient, a heart patient, a cancer patient. It was like, there he is again. Thank God he's been um, cured by all this fabulous health care. <laughs> um, but right. it does bring into account that if a doctor or a clinician is saying, well, you know, I'm dealing with this. And for example, as soon as you say for the example, you could be running into HIPAA laws because you need to explain that this is not hypothetical, that we've actually treated somebody like this who has a high-risk pregnancy or somebody who had COVID and they took the mRNA shot you you need to kind of make it real but it's violent yeah so there's a lot of a lot of considerations I mean on the other hand there's there's there are some um some ways around it for example the um the federal government says that you are allowed to release information if it is um if it's necessary for your 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 normal business operations and marketing is a normal business operation, so oh, interesting. Um, so a doctor can say to me, "I have this patient, Jane Smith. She had a great outcome after having this experimental surgery. Maybe you want to do a story on her." That's not a HIPAA violation. He told me her name. He told me her story, but he didn't he didn't um, break her confidentiality because that was within the course of that organization's normal business. So, yeah, lots of things. I mean, we've gotten in, in look, I, I've had situations where we're, you know, we're doing an event and we want to invite all of, our, all of our breast cancer survivors to this event. So let's send them a postcard way before it goes in the mail. If we did that, we would be violating HIPAA because their postman now knows that they were a breast cancer. Oh, my God. I never right? would so even think a, of that. Put it in a plain envelope. Don't, into, right. Yeah. I mean, there's so many implications of, of this this kind of regulation. And is it because we're such a litigious society? I get that we're respecting privacy, but is this such a litigious society that people are actually being sued um, for sending out a postcard you know, instead of an envelope kind of You know, thing? it really is. Or I mean, doctor I talking about his his Jane Doe, you know, patient and someone going, I recognize her. You know, I think ultimately it's a good thing for all of us to have these laws that protect our privacy because if you sure. think about it, there's so much data that's out there, right? And that and could be used are, against you too. I mean, used, yeah. Yeah, you really do want to have these guardrails in place and 
Um, you know, and I think that's that's really understandable. Um, you know, it, it used to be that if, if somebody was in a car accident and they were in my emergency room and a reporter called, I could say, oh, yeah, John Doe was in that accident and he's in stable condition, <laughs> you know, and, and I can't do that anymore. And, and the media understands that. Um, but, yeah, no, it, it's it's ultimately, I think it's it's all for good reason. But also important to know that if the federal government decides to prosecute you for a breach, and we've seen breaches where, you know, different organizations, a laptop was left in a car and it was stolen and it had people's medical records on it, for example. Um, it's not only civil, but you can be hit with criminal uh, repercussions for that. So oh there are fines, there are criminal prosecutions, yeah. So they're very serious about it. So does that scare off practitioners or clinicians, physicians, institutions from saying we're going to do anything for fear mm. that? You know, is they no. saying, well, maybe we won't do PR, we'll just do our business, you know? No, and no, no. I think it's changed the way we do it. But I think it's, um, you know, again, it's just changed how we how we um, go ahead and, and share that information. It's it's made us more careful. When and again, ultimately, I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's okay that that it has changed that a bit. It's made it a little more difficult for us to to be as forthcoming with the media in the event of a crisis or a situation like that. Um, but reporters do understand that that these are federal laws, and when you invoke HIPAA, they they get it. They know. Um, you know, I remember the old days, right <laughs> of. Uh, Many years ago, when there was a plane crash on Long Island, and we had reporters dressing up as, as relatives and sneaking into the hospital with cameras and trying to interview patients at the bedside. So, Did you tell you know. me they still don't do it? I bet they do. I bet they do. <laughs> I don't work in hospitals anymore, so right. <laughs> tell you, but I'm, I wouldn't be surprised. Especially now, because they could use their phone to record. They don't have to come in Absolutely. with cameras. Now right. Now it's easy enough. You just come in with your iPhone, and you're good to go. <laughs> right. you, you got something that's least decent quality yeah. that you can use. Right. It used to be a big trench coat with a camera underneath. <laughs> oh, now gosh. it could just be in your pocket. Yeah, I can imagine that. If someone were interested in getting involved in healthcare, because we're, run, we're, we're running a little short on time, but if someone were interested in getting involved in healthcare PR, what what should they? What are the requirements? Where should they start? What should they think about? What are things they should skills they should have? Yeah, so I, you know, I always say, and here's my professor hat: learn how to write well, learn how to communicate. Um, verbally and in writing, and, and really have that firm foundation and communication skills. And then, you know, for employment opportunities, um, really people are looking for, for folks who have experience in communications, not necessarily in healthcare, but if you have an innate interest in science or medicine, health or wellness, if you have a desire to help people, that's really, really important. If you have experience in communications or journalism, um, that's that's really helpful to to be brought into the field. Um, you know, the skills are, are the fundamental skills are the same. It's really just how they're applied within the healthcare environment. Um, I, I always suggest networking uh, and continual learning. So I'll make a shameless plug for PRPLI, which you mentioned is a great opportunity Go for to it. meet <laughs> other people and to you know there there are pro educational programs um, monthly where you can learn new skills. So always staying up to date on on evolving technology, communication technology um, is important. So prpli.org, and then there's some organizations like the National Public Health Information Coalition, 
um, and the Society for Healthcare Marketing and Strategy Development, which are kind of larger membership organizations for people who, who work in various aspects of healthcare communications. Lots of things. And I guess they should also have an interest in healthcare or that kind of thing and, and wanting to, because I would think it's a real passion. It is certainly one of the sectors, even on the agency side, that's always the group that's growing. That's always the group that's yeah. looking to hire at all levels. So you don't have to start in that. You can transfer over, but. Yeah. And having that innate curiosity, right. About like, and, and what's so great about healthcare is that as you pointed out earlier, it's always changing. It's evolving. There's new, new therapies, new treatments, new discoveries, um, always something going on. So there's always something to learn and always an interesting person to learn it from. Um, yeah, and I, I just think it's a great career. I think it's really uh, it's perfect for people who have a lot of curiosity about the world around them and, and want to help other people to, to live their best, healthiest lives. I agree with you, and I would say it's probably one of the sectors of PR, and I'll end on this, that I think is truly making a difference. That's where PR and educating people really is, making a difference. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Teresa, it's been great to have you here. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure to chat with you. Sounds good. That's Let's Talk PR and More for today. You can find more information about the show and about me at Goldman Communications Group's website, www.goldmanpr.net. And if you want to hear the show again, you can listen to the podcast, which is posted on Goldman Communications Group's website and most podcast sites, including Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and iHeartRadio. Thank you for listening again today. I look forward to talking PR and more with you all again next week.